Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hi, I'm James Richardson with a quick word on the audio treats The Athletic have in store this season. Three times a week you get the award-winning Totally Football Show with the likes of James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein, Carl Anker and Rory Smith and me. Uh, Mark Chapman hosts The Athletic Football Podcast a flashy four times a week with David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and many others. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast will have all the women's Super League coverage off the back of their brilliant Euros and the offside rule is back too with weekly episodes. That's not all. There are eight dedicated club shows. There's Adam Hurry's joyous football cliches show, Michael Cox's insightful athletic football tactics podcast, the offbeat TIFO football podcast, and a revamped football manager show too. You can get all of these shows wherever you find your podcasts or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Ian Irving and coming up we reflect on English football's historic Sunday as the Lionesses clinched their first ever major trophy with an extra time win over Germany at Wembley. The celebrations are still going on, I think, but we ponder the long-term impact of their success. Has the sport been changed forever? We'll also squeeze in an update on Cristiano Ronaldo after his return in a red shirt to Old Trafford. Plus, David Ornstein is here with a transfer update. And Chelsea fans, he might have some good news for you. It is hemp and it is deep. Quite simply, only one place to start, as last weekend saw the dramatic climax of a brilliant Euro 2022 tournament, as England beat Germany in front of a record crowd at Wembley and watching on at home as well. The host victory is the focus of our reaction, and the Athletics women's football correspondent Charlotte Harper was at Wembley on Sunday and joins us now fresh from the celebrations in Trafalgar Square. She's about the only sober one who was there, I think. Uh, Obvious question, to be honest, to start, Charlotte, but how incredible have the last 24 hours been? A blur, (laughs) a whirlwind of emotions, just like the um, highs and lows and uh, fatigue, but also excitement as well. You know, this may not happen again for a very, very long time. You kind of have to realise that, that home Euros winning it doesn't come around often. A record crowd for any game in the European Championships at Wembley to beat Germany in extra time in the final, to clinch, you know, the the biggest achievement in, in English football for the women's side ever. It, it just, no matter which way you looked at it, it was just a very, very special day. And like you say, it's unlikely that we'll ever get that that feeling again, necessarily. It feels like a real landmark moment, doesn't it? 
when you put it like that, Ian, with all the factors together, I suppose, yeah, <laughs> it does It does uh, bring it home. But I think from this point on, you know, football will never be the same because it was the moment that the nation turned up to watch women playing football but treated it just as football, not men's or women's. That's true. And, and the audience figures as well, absolutely incredible. The most watched event of 2022 so far. Another factor as well was the quality of the goals. Ella Toon's goal with the nation holding its breath as she went clean through to chip the keeper like that. And that finish, just ridiculous under the circumstances. How calm was she? She was cool as a cucumber, but the assist from Kira Walsh, oh my goodness. People around the world are probably listening to this and thinking that we're a little bit biased towards the England team, but... It does feel like a real landmark moment, certainly in this country, and I guess other places will feel that as well. Let's hear from Ella Toon then. You spoke to her earlier on amidst the celebrations, and probably fair to say she wasn't quite as cool as a cucumber when she did this interview with all the hysteria. Measure of control, Kira Welsh, that's a fine-looking ball. Here is a wonderful opportunity for Toon! What a goal from her! Ella Toon at Manchester United, pushing them ahead! Whirlwind of emotions. Who did you go up to first? Do you remember? I remember running up to Alessia um, and and jumping on Alessia and yeah, I think we cried a little bit and we cheered to the fans and honestly, it's been an unbelievable 24 hours and I'm sure the celebrations will keep continuing. Did you go ahead to hit the pillow at any point last night? No, I don't think I've had any any hours sleep. I don't think anyone has to be fair. I'm think. off to IB for tomorrow. Get home. <laughs> get home. Get my Can lashes we- done. Yeah, I got them done and they all fell out and then I'm, now I'm at the final with no lashes. It's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Charlotte, if the goal wasn't iconic enough at Wembley for Toon, I think getting her lashes done and going to Ibiza is going to go down in history even more, isn't it? What a quote that is. Ella Toon is just showing all the nuances of what it means to be a women's footballer. You can wear eyelash extensions and score world-class goals. Well, unfortunately for Ella, in this case, they fell out. So inspiring as well, isn't it? The celebration as well from from Chloe Kelly. I don't know if she meant it or not, but taking a shirt off and revealing the sports bra just felt very empowering. The idea that you're winning trophies in a sports bra, considering the the drop-off there is for so many young women coming into sport at a teenage age, to go and do that and, and be proud and just, this is me and this is me losing myself in the moment, just felt, again, like that picture is going to be shown forever, isn't it? Yeah, that celebration from uh, Chloe Kelly was iconic and it will be remembered for years to come but it was uh, a tweet um, from Lucy Ward an author that I saw that said this image of a woman shirtless in a sports bra hugely significant this is a woman's body not for sex or show just for the sheer joy of what she can do and the power and skill she has wonderful and just like you said Ian it was you know completely natural no shame whatsoever and she shouldn't have shame Definitely not, as should she, should like celebrate a goal and what a brilliant goal it was, but it was to admire the body and her work and her talents on the pitch and nothing beyond that. In terms of what's next then for the team, seeing some of the, the celebrations on social media and on the television as well, it's going to take them a while to get this out of the system, I'm sure. The season's you know just over a month away, the WSL season, which is probably at the back of players' minds for the moment, but I guess the sport wants to build on this now and, and, and make it 
aligning the sand moment where things just continue to get better from here on in. Yeah, that's the crucial thing that we take this momentum forward into the domestic league and the WSL, but not just in England, you know, further afield. It has to have an impact across all the European nations that took part. You know, Germany has seen a decline in the popularity of its uh, Frauen Bundesliga. And so we need not only people to turn up to WSL games and support these England internationals and their teammates, but make sure that those girls who want to play football have the facilities, have the support to get to training, have the coaches, have scouts, you know, looking in parks or estates or cages to make it more accessible for girls. Yeah, amen to that. Thank you, Charlotte. I'll let you go and get some rest. Thanks very much, Ian. Cheers. Right, as the country had its eyes fixed on Wembley on Sunday evening, Manchester United were completing their pre-season preparations by drawing with Real Vallecano. The headline, of course, though, from Sunday for United was that Cristiano Ronaldo was back in a red shirt, back playing at Old Trafford, starting the match, and Carl Anker was there to see the King play. That's his words, not mine. Ronaldo, not Carl Anker. Carl, was there some surprise that he was in straight from the start? No, I think the intention from everyone at Manchester United was to get Ronaldo some degree of minutes. Um, I think his timeline in regards to everyone else, I think he's maybe two or three games behind. What did surprise me was his reception. It felt proper panto. Good description. <laughs> so he came, you know, United come out you know, about half hour before kickoff um, from the Stratford end. Obviously, they've now swapped the, the dugout so the home end is now closer um, to Stratford and Ronaldo makes a point of applauding the Sir Alex Ferguson stand gets an ovation and a little bit of booze goes to the Stratford end there was some booze then was there from the home there spot. was some booze so it's what's called in wrestling the John Cena pop so you get a round of cheers that are very much children's voices clearly and then there's like a deeper bass of boo, which I'm assuming are the dads. Yeah. And when the team sheet was read out, Ronaldo, you know, loudest reception, loudest cheer out of any player. You know, you consider Lissandra Martin, his brand new signing was there as well. Ronaldo gets a louder cheer. But also there is that sort of 10%, that vocal minority that just aren't having him anymore, which mm. is, I would wonder if that would continue as Old Trafford goes from what well, you know, that was more of a family-friendly event preseason to to when the diehards come back in later on in the season. Yeah, Brighton will be interesting at the weekend. It doesn't feel like he's going to start that game. It'll be interesting to see if he's even considered for the squad. But it feels like United still need him, and all the noises that are coming out of the club is that he's not for sale. There's been lots reported on the Athletic. I'm sure everyone can go and read about that, including, of course, your piece as well about his early exit from the stadium because he was pictured, it seemed, at this point, there's been no confirmation on it, but it seemed like he was leaving Old Trafford early before the end of the game. Doesn't send a great message if that's true, does it? It's a bad optic. So all the entire Man United squad appeared to, to be present for at least the first half. Uh, I was sat in the, the press box and I watched a number of players come in just quite close to the press box so I saw De Gea McTominay Elanga Rashford Dallo uh, and a number of other players and I believe a number of other members of the squad were in okay. boxes uh, behind me as well uh, and I believe you know this is sort of 
what Ten Hag wants. Ten Hag wants the entire squad to buy in and to be present for these sorts of events, regardless of their status or be injury and whatnot. So they all came out for the first half. They all sort of paused for selfies and whatnot, and they all made a quick departure at halftime. Some of them appeared to come back for the second half, whereas some you know may have gone back to boxes and different seats. Um, and while we can't, you know, it, it looks as if a handful of them may have left before full time to beat the traffic, shall we say? Um, it, you know, there was no press conference or, or interview uh, to, to wider press at full time. Uh, and Ten Hag was only really questioned by MUTV afterwards, and he wasn't questioned about Ronaldo or any status there. But it is mm. a bad look if you're a player who missed, you know, four weeks of preseason tour and needs to get enough fitness to catch up. You know, has certain question marks as as to whether or not you're dedicated and a team player. And there's a photograph of you that may or may not indicate you left before the night of minute. Yeah. Like you said before, there's an element of pantomime to it all, isn't there? Even the pictures um, that everyone was sharing on social media of Ronaldo in conversation, shall we say, with Eric Ten Hag on the touchline and different interpretations about body language and how it seemed, the the post-Sunday the King plays, um, all of it just (laughs) feels... well. We've spoken about it a lot on Talk of the Devils, haven't we? It, it just feels a bit boring now, doesn't it? You almost just want to just skip to the end, don't you? Yes. Uh, the one that made me laugh was on Saturday where I think he said, back in action or preparing. And it's a photograph with him and Charlie Savage and the rest of the United <laughs> Academy graduates. And he's pulled his shorts up and flexing his thighs. My muscles you know, are bigger than these kids. He's yeah. saying, my muscles are bigger than these kids. But also he's not touching any of his teammates. There's a, there's there's like a, a tiny gap, gap, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Between him and Mad and, and Charlie Savage. And you're going, that's it. The gap is the... And I think that's what quite a few United fans are now beginning to realise. It's that gap between Ronaldo and everyone else at Manchester United. And, you know, Ronaldo... I think if you like Ronaldo, it's fair to call him an individualist and he's probably one of the greatest football individualists we've seen. Mm. And he will play for himself and he's playing in order to burnish his own legacy and in order to hit the records that he wants to hit and prove himself as one of the greatest football players of all time. That really jars with what Ten Hag is trying to give United, which is stop doing things for yourself and play together. I know a number of United fans have been quite excited about an old clip where Ten Hag is yelling at a, a young Noah Lang at Ajax and he tells Noah Lang, it's our game, it's not just yours. Yeah. And I think the problem is, can you see Ten Hag give the same speech to Cristiano Ronaldo? How did he actually play? Not great, if I'll be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the real contrast there was obviously Raul Falcano had Falcao up front and, and Falcao is several years removed from an ACL injury. He's not the player he used to be. Uh, you know, Ronaldo is a better player than Falcao. But Falcao, at you know his mid-30s, understands what his body can and can't do. And he just stays in and around the penalty area. His average position is, where are the two centre-backs stood? I'm going to stand in between those. So Vallecano's players can constantly play off him. And he is making the most of what his body will allow. Ronaldo, you know, the individualist, is doing what he wants to do. So there's loads of times where he's dropping deep. He's dropping deep and I think he thinks he's trying to do build up, but it's just not useful. Um, there's a, there was a really, so Garnacho was the best attacking player for United yesterday. 
there's a moment quite early on, you know, he's, he's burst down the left, he's crashing into the half space and he's cut inside. And Garnacho, if you watch any of the FA Youth Cup matches, would have shot if it was an FA Youth Cup match or an academy match. But then he looked up and he saw Ronaldo, who hopped back to the edge of the penalty box. And you can sort of see Garnacho go, oh, all right, it's Ronaldo, I'll pass to you then. Ronaldo sort of doesn't quite get the shot and, and the attack falls down. And there were two or three moments yesterday where Ronaldo was stood in places he probably shouldn't be stood. And other United players were passing to him where they would not have passed if that player wasn't Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, And that is the concerning thing. Um, if you think about how United in 1920 and 2021 often had a problem where if they got stuck, they'd just give it to Bruno. Now that you know, quite a few of the United players, when they get stuck, they go, well, I'll give it to Ronaldo because if I don't give it to Ronaldo, he might have a word with me at half-time. Or that is the perception of him, and I don't. That's just not useful. Even if, even if he is your top scorer from last season, you can't have a player who commands this authority, yet also isn't the good player he used to be. I think even if you love Ronaldo, he's not as good as how he was in 2017. He's not as good as how he was at 30. He hasn't got that five-yard burst of pace anymore. Mm. It's quite spooky, I'll say. To watch it when they've got a counter attack and it's Don Van der Beek and it's you know James Garner and Ronaldo and all running forward and Ronaldo's not the fastest one in that race, and why would he? Because he's thirty seven. He's going to turn thirty eight, and you just want Ronaldo to to calm down, take a leaf out of Falcao's book, take a leaf out of some of the older players' books, and just stand in between the centre backs. Just stay in the box. Do a rude Van Nistelrooy. It jars a bit as well, Carl, doesn't it? From what the rest of Manchester United's pre-season has been and. Um, the early excitement of the big win over Liverpool and, and some of the promising displays in Australia has been undone a little bit maybe over the weekend with two disappointing results in the end against Atletico defeating Oslo and then the draw against Rayo Vallecano that we're talking about. But there was more interlinking play between the attacking players in those early friendlies that Ronaldo wasn't involved with than we've seen for Manchester United for some time. So it does jar a little bit and it just points towards the idea and the theory that Ronaldo is holding others back in terms of him scoring the goals and him standing out and everyone else suffering. Yes. Oh, you know, slight caveat that Ronaldo was playing with, you know, a, a sort of scratch 11. Yes. And hasn't hasn't played, you know, he hasn't played next to Marcus Rashford yet, he hasn't played next to Jadon Sancho, he hasn't yet played with, with Bruno Fernandes yet. So caveats there, you know, the 11 that Ronaldo eventually plays in the Premier League will not be that 11. It's only a theory at this point as well, but really, isn't you are it? going, yeah. you are going, I mean, I, th- I think I had the moment when I was watching the Liverpool game, always watching some of the games against Crystal Palace, I'm going, I'm not sure where Ronaldo would choose to stand when United are counting that way. Would he be the furthest man forward? Because that's what he should be. Mm. Um, and I think that this is a difficult thing and Ronaldo could be 30% better as a football player if he ran about 30% less but he chooses not to and I don't think you can coach that right I, I think Cristiano Ronaldo is a person who has done it his way for over 10 years and he has triumphed with that and I think the, the most difficult thing is to go up to a football player or anyone really successful and go hey the way you've been really successful for the last 10 years isn't going to be the most successful way now. I need you to do something different because successful people also go, why, why should I listen to you? Why, you know? And that, that's maybe the body language between him and Ten Hag now. And I think this is going to be the great challenge of even if he does stay, and that's a even if, yeah. 
how do you convince him of the correct positions to stand when United want to switch from left to right or they want to do an overload in certain positions? There was a little bit where he... I'm not going to call it pressing, but he tried to engage the goalkeeper in possession and wasn't really running at a correct angle or at great intensity, which, okay, fine, pre-season. Uh, and he was flapping his arms about in a, in a really sort of, almost like he wanted to pretend like he was running faster than he was. And then when he realised that the goalkeeper was taking it wide and was going to the right, he sort of yelled at Garnacho saying, Oi, you should be pressing too. And it just felt very, you're not doing your job. Why are you yelling at him to do his now? Come on, be a team player. Um, yeah, very panto. It's, it's, it's just a very surreal experience watching Ronaldo in 2022. You've said as well there about him listening to new voices. Well, he's got a brand new voice to listen to in Benny McCarthy. Andy Mitson had the story on The Athletic that United have added him to Eric Ten Hag's coaching staff as an attacking coach. Um, how's this going to go? It seemed a real left field choice. He, he's got a decent pedigree by the sound of it, um, where he's worked in, in South Africa in particular. But it's a new, unexpected name, isn't it, for United fans and indeed Premier League supporters to digest as a coach. We've seen him as a player, obviously, but as a coach, no one saw that coming, I don't think. One that really took me by surprise. I think one of the, I think there was a photograph doing the rounds of him at Carrington and you almost went, is he saying hello to a player? Oh, he's a coach. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for, to Andy for confirming that. Uh, Ten Hag did a quick interview on MUTV at full time after Vallecano. And he said there was space for one more coach this summer. And he said uh, Benny McCarthy would offer a new voice. Uh, and he, he mentioned the attack. And I think nominally, I think the, the early description said he was sort of a striking coach. But Ten Hag elaborated that, no, he's an attacking coach. And said attacking isn't just the strikers, but it's the fullbacks and it's the midfielders. Uh, Ten Hag said um, that the idea is to be very dynamic in how Manchester United attack. And I think if mm. you watched... A lot of the preseason games, the really interesting thing about United now is they press from the front, but also they counter press very quickly, or they try and counter press very quickly when they lose the ball. Um, so you hopefully should get a United team that will go from you know string six or seven passes together, and if they lose the ball, they win it back and an immediate counter attack on you as well. Benny McCarthy should be good at that. Uh, as Andy also raised, I still haven't forgiven him for scoring those goals for Porto <laughs> way back when in the Champions League. Uh, but all power to him. I'm, I'm very excited to see how things turn out. Ten Hag's choice, do you think? I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure there. But I, th I think Ten Hag is... Well, I mean, we know Ten Hag's a tracksuit manager and we know he's meticulous about certain things. And I think the idea of having a new voice is particularly interesting. If you consider how many... Um, how should I put this politely? Familiar faces we have seen at Manchester United's coaching staff over the years. Having someone just completely different who's you know earned their bones in a different league and playing a different style of football and who you know might also be take a different approach to to instruction players that won't reference Sir Alex Ferguson that might be worthwhile. Be interesting to watch either way, won't it? <laughs> indeed, indeed. I'm I'm sort of. I was 7 out of 10 in terms of excitement for the new season after the Australia leg. And I think I'm a 6 out of 10 after this weekend. I think a lot relies on Jadon Sancho being fit for Sunday. Um, I think a lot of play will end up revolving around him, especially when United want to switch it from left to right. You go and visit him, make sure he's all right then, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Cheers, mate.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athletic football with no spaces. Well, as we record this podcast, it is the morning of the 1st of August, but there is still a month of the summer transfer window to go. It's going to be a very busy month for David Ornstein in particular, and he's been reporting over the weekend on The Athletic that Chelsea are working on deals to sign Leicester's Wesley Fofana and also Denzel Dumfries of Inter Milan. And David joins us now. What's the detail on this? Yeah, well, Chelsea, we know, Ian, are still working hard to strengthen as the window goes on, as the new season approaches. Their two headline signings, of course, are Raheem Sterling, which was a really impressive capture from Manchester City, and Kalidou Koulibaly from Napoli. High-level acquisitions, and Chelsea aren't done yet. I mean, they still want to strengthen further in central defence. They want to recruit in both of the wide sort of fullback wingback positions with uncertainty over the futures of Cesar Pelaqueta on the right and Marcus Alonso on the left so to provide some sort of cover strength in depth first choice competition and yeah we reported that Wesley Fofana is a player that Chelsea are working on a deal to sign there has been a lot of this around at the moment in the media at, uh, on other outlets and and that's something that, that we have established to be accurate it's a very complicated deal to potentially do and there's no certainty it will happen and that would be for central defence um, and uh, comes in the wake of Chelsea uh, not bringing in Jules Koundé who was another option um, there's been no progress it seems on a player who we uh, reported about Kim Pembe from Paris Saint-Germain so many names swirling around and, and Fofana is one they would love to do um, and so we'll go into a bit more detail on that in a sec and then on the right-hand side, um, as a sort of right-back, right-wing-back, Denzel Dumfries from Inter Milan is another who Chelsea are very interested in. So they're not being worked on as one or the other, um, despite the fact that obviously they're not the same position. But it's not that if one comes in, the other doesn't. It's that they're going for both as things stand. Um, and they'll be going for more. There are lots of options in the mix for Chelsea at the moment too. Yeah, there's certainly a club to keep an eye on, aren't they, considering how many players they've been linked with or how many players it's been reported they've had interest in as well and been 
sort of rejected by it seems with Rafinha, Delit, you mentioned Kunde as well. It's not been a, a successful period, it feels like, for Chelsea in recent times. You mentioned that Fafana's complicated, so do you have any more optimism that maybe Chelsea fans won't be disappointed again on this one? Well, no, the reason it's so difficult, Ian, is that Leicester don't want him to leave. They see him as central to their plans. They think he's very happy at the club. And Brendan Rodgers has said that he's not for sale. Um, Now, we've heard many managers and club executives. Rodgers himself used that terminology in the past with Ben Chilwell, for example, who ended up going to Chelsea uh, in the same window that that was said. Leicester really do not want to sell Fofana and I'm told they value him at around 80, 85 million pounds, which is obviously steep. He's not long back from a broken leg, I think it was, a very serious leg injury. He's uh, under contract until 2027. That was relatively recently signed. He's in his early 20s and has huge potential, which clearly Chelsea recognise. Now, I think what Chelsea would like to do is offer some players that might be of interest to Leicester to potentially bring, I don't want to say asking price because they're not asking for anything, but that valuation, that figure that they might have in their head as a something they'd potentially be willing to do business for down a bit but you know the longer something like this drags on Chelsea don't have a player that they want Leicester do have a player that they want and the season gets going and it becomes trickier and trickier but he is a firm target for Chelsea there's no doubt about that and on Denzel Dumfries the interest from Chelsea is similarly strong we don't know Inter Milan's precise stance on this one because he is one of their key players and in normal circumstances you imagine that they would want to keep him but they do need to raise funds this summer they haven't been able to so far through other names who have been linked with moves away the likes of Bastoni um, Skriniar maybe that will develop but maybe it will have to be Dumfries if they can get the sort of figure that they want to it produced this report a bit of mixed reaction among Chelsea fans who feel they already have Reese James in that position and don't want to stump his development but I think others saw potential um, for great competition and strength in depth there and also from Inter Milan fans who are saying it would be a disaster for them to sell before a World Cup where he may make a huge impression for the Netherlands and have a much higher value after that. I think he's under contract until 2025 so they're not in an immediate rush to sell but It'll be interesting. There have been lines of communication between Inter and Chelsea, of course, because Chelsea have loaned Romelu Lukaku to Inter already this summer. So that may help the situation. I don't know, but I'm sure we'll start to get an impression in the coming days. I think Chelsea would like to make a a signing before the season starts. Although, as they've seen already this summer, it's not always that easy. And one thing I might counter on your point is that I think they're really pleased with their business so far in Koulibaly and Sterling. But yeah, they would like to do more and they've missed out on some, um, but that happens with most clubs and the window still has a few weeks to run. So they'll be optimistic that the first window under the new ownership and with Todd Bowley, the co-owner, chairman and interim sporting director can finish as strongly as you, you could say it started with 
those initial two acquisitions. Interesting time for Leicester as well, isn't it? They seem to be battening down the hatches a little bit because they've got this interest in Fafana. It's also been reported on The Athletic as well that Newcastle have had a bid rejected for James Madison. I think I'm right in saying that Leicester haven't spent a penny in this window yet either. So it seems like a really challenging situation, this for Brendan Rodgers in particular. It is. This was a window where Leicester needed to get players out really before they could bring any in to balance the books and comply with... Just not these players, by the sound of it. (laughs) That's the problem. They want to keep hold of their best players. And, you know, it's pretty um, straightforward what they had in mind because you've got somebody like Yuri Tielemans, who, despite being a key player for them, only has a year to go on his contract. Um, He's showing no signs of signing a new one. And therefore, with interest from the likes of Arsenal, um, it felt like a deal for him might be likely at, say, 25, 30 million pounds. Um, There's some desire on his part to go. um, And uh, and I think there could have been a situation, there still might be a situation that suits all parties on that front, whether it be Arsenal or, or anybody else. But it hasn't happened yet. No firm offers have come in at least not that meets Leicester's uh, requirements and asking price. Um, And there are others who they could potentially raise money for. I think off the top of my head, the likes of Kalia Soyuncu, um, Kelechi Iheanacho, but the interest is stemming around their uh, star names. So we've mentioned Fafana there, uh, James Madison. There were reports in recent days that Newcastle uh, have made an offer for him, which I, uh, as far as I know is accurate. I had a few days off for once, so I've not been fully across this one. And, and, and I don't, <laughs> How dare you, David? I know, it's a scandal. And in the transfer window as well. Shameful, really. Um, and I don't think that Leicester would consider selling anywhere near the sort of figure that uh, Newcastle were proposing. Uh, whether Newcastle are going to come in with something higher and, and keep testing the water and whether they're being encouraged to do so with good reason or whether it's something that actually fades away because the money gets out of hand. You know, there have been suggestions of inquiries over um, Harvey Barnes as well, another who Leicester okay. would uh, like to keep and didn't give a long uh, a new contract to uh, long ago. Another story that we broke on The Athletic in my Monday column. Um, and so, yeah, it's a really tricky time at the King Power. There must be a little bit of frustration for Brendan Rodgers, but he always seems quite optimistic and Leicester seem to rejuvenate well, even when they do sell. They seem to be quite canny uh, at buying players and um, surprising a few people. So, yeah, they're not a club to be written off, even though this is a um, challenging summer. Yeah, it's worked for them in the past, hasn't it? Selling people like Harry Maguire and Ben Chilwell and and rebuilding with the money that they've earned. The the James Madison interest from Newcastle is is really fascinating for me. This seems like them looking at a rival who we would probably expect to be maybe above Newcastle in the Premier League table, despite the investment and the progress that they've made under Eddie Howe this season and, and challenging them and threatening the the establishment for the first time maybe in and around them. I know the Chris Wood deal had its controversy with Burnley last season in the relegation fight, but this feels like them being ambitious and going up against the team that they feel they can leapfrog maybe and nicking one of their their star players. Do you feel the same? Yeah, you mentioned the Chris Wood one and that's a, a fine example of at that point in time, not only seeking to strengthen your team with 
a type of player that could come in handy, but also weakening a direct rival. And and that may be part of the thinking on Madison. I would say it's more likely that they've just identified him as being a top number 10. It's yeah. pretty obvious for us all to see that... Am I um, getting too excited? He, Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, not to, no, it's good to get excited, but I, I think um, that's just a, an acquisition that would strengthen most teams in the Premier League and beyond. Um, very fond of James Madison as a player, and it's a bit curious that he still hasn't made the impact that many people think he should at international level. Uh, he's had his injury problems, but really... Um, enthused to see how he develops in the coming years and so clearly a club like Newcastle are seeing him as a a player that could be brought into that number 10 creativity role um, for what they hoped would be a reasonable value and and that value uh, would presumably rise if he can take them forward um, and it would be a good deal but Leicester are going to have something to say about that Um, and you know it's, it's, it's an interesting one there's been a lot of talk about is this a play for a new contract on Madison's behalf? He didn't sign one too long ago. There's been interest from the likes of Manchester United in the past. I think a couple of years ago, we reported that he was high up on their list. Tottenham have been linked with him as well. And whatever happens, Leicester either have a gem on their hands or somebody that they're going to make a handsome profit on what they signed him from Leicester for. You mentioned some of the players that they've done that with. We think back to also to even Mares and Kante, Drinkwater too. Yeah, so it's a really interesting interesting one on Madison and although he has been linked in the past with those Champions League clubs and may see himself playing at that level one Newcastle clearly have those ambitions themselves but two I think they understand where they are at this moment in time on their journey they're not a Champions League club at this moment um, the, the sort of signings that they've been linked with are the kind of players you would imagine are quite clever to bring them to that level. So you're not signing, I don't know, uh, uh, an established Champions League number 10. Players with the same ambition that the club's got that want to make that step like the club wants to make that step. Totally. And, you know, one of the uh, players linked with them quite consistently in recent weeks has been Jack Harrison at Leeds United. And some you know, around Newcastle and the takeover, similar to when Manchester City and others have been taken over, might think, hang on a sec, shouldn't you be going for Messi and Ronaldo and Mbappe and Haaland? But no, it's actually the these players, and it's no disrespect to them at all, that are most likely to have the qualities and the character that Eddie Howe is looking for right now. And maybe James Madison fits into that Uh, camp as well Uh, the reports when they broke suggested it's a move he might be interested in um but we'll have to wait and see because on this one you know it's not like a Tielemans where there's only a year to go on his contract Leicester have more strength in the negotiation and you suspect that that might be a, a difficult one for Newcastle to pull off given they they can't spend unlimited amounts of money given financial fair play restrictions and and that's one of the reasons why despite being on paper the richest club in the world it doesn't necessarily translate into the transfer market Okay, thanks, David. No more days off now, though. It's August, yeah? I know. Lost the face of goal, collected by Crossard. Kukurenya! What an emphatic finish! And Kukurenya follows suit in grand style. A story has broken since we recorded the podcast, and you can read more about it on The Athletic now. 
is that Chelsea are in talks to sign Mark Cucurella from Brighton. It seems to be developing quite quickly. There's no agreement between the clubs as we speak, um, but the discussions are ongoing. It's interesting because Manchester City seem to be in pole position to sign him. Their interest was concrete. However, they weren't prepared to go to the 50 million plus pounds that Brighton would expect. But it's another move by Chelsea to try and strengthen that back line. Go and have a look on The Athletic if you want to know any more about any of the stories we've discussed on the pod today. And of course, this is the place to keep right up to date with all the big transfer news as well. And you can subscribe now for just £1 a month. Head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. But for the minute, thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.